Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Monster Energy Cup Series Racing from Pocono. It's going to be fun to watch this Harvick come from 29th today. You see the fans on their feet as we get ready for the green flag to fly. How good is Kevin Harvick? Brad Kozlowski just came on the radio to a spotter. Is that the four car behind me? He's that much faster than the rest of the field. Here comes Chase Elliott and now makes the pass before he gets to the tunnel turn. He gets his second stage win of the season right there. Six wins already in 2018. Still trying to check off the list. Pocono and checkered flag for Kevin Harvick. He wins stage number two. Oh, oh look at oh. two. The tire goes down on Keselowski's car. The four has come back onto pit road. Rick Van contact on pit road with their teammate Eric Almirola. Oh, oh hard into the wall. It's a 43. Red flag is out. NASCAR America, Carolyn Mano, alongside Dale Jarrett and Parker Kligerman, who were both part of our coverage for a thrilling overtime finish in the Xfinity Series at Iowa. And on Sunday, we would see another overtime finish in the Cup Series. And for that, we go right back to Pocono. Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, part of a group of 13 drivers, sent to the back after not passing inspection. That allowed Daniel Suarez to earn his first career pole. And in Stage 1, you would see Kevin Harvick making moves early. Oh, yeah, and the rest of the field saw Kevin Harvick coming by on what glimpse <laughs> they could catch of him. Right. Unbelievably how fast this race car was. And, you know, seldom as a driver do you get that. But he could pass them uh, inside, middle, outside. Parker didn't really make any difference. You know, it's funny. They commented how fast this race car was, but I feel like I've seen that all season out of yeah. those four cars. So <laughs> I wasn't so surprised yet, other than this is such a hard place to pass. It was that impressive. He moved up 14 spots by lap two, but who finished in front of him? Chase Elliott. And this was something that he said after New Hampshire, he hoped was not a fluke, that they had speed at New Hampshire, won a stage. Well, what did he do? He brought that same speed here to Pocono, so maybe that proved it wasn't a fluke. And that line through turn two, I just love that. He was going so far low there, yeah. trying to find something using a different line. Maybe awesome. more importantly, winning a stage for the second straight week, but in stage two, it was more of the same with Harvick. Yeah, Harvick kind of got things set up. He didn't have to go through all of those other cars to get to the front this time, passing uh, Chase Elliott and then Eric Jones here to get to the lead and win stage two. His 10th stage win of the year. Let's move on to the final stage. There's 40 to go here after this. And Brad Keselowski, Parker, with some problems. And this was some great camera work by our team there. As you see him go off the turn two, the right rear goes down right when he was underneath Jimmy Johnson trying to make a pass. Jimmy luckily gets away, but unfortunately for Brad, that would end their day. And then pit road problems for a couple of teammates during the ensuing caution, DJ. Yeah, this is a pretty wide pit road, but Kevin Harvick was kind of in a tough spot right there. He had the 88 car to his outside. You can see William Byron trying to exit his pit. Almirola just may have miscalculated that a little bit, got into Harvick. Both cars had to come back to pit road, which meant they had to start at the end of the line on the restart to put 
two fast race cars at the back of the pack once again. Yes, yeah, and heavy damage, but not compared to this. This was a very scary moment with six laps to go. And that it is. This is what you dread as a race car driver to hit that middle pedal and nothing to happen. That's what happened to Bubba Wallace. No brakes there heading to turn one. They actually exploded. And so what did he do? He turned left. That's your natural tendency as a driver to try and bleed some speed before hitting that wall, but it gives you an awkward angle into that wall, DJ. But that neck going down was Yeah, awesome. yeah, that was a great sight right there. Yeah, it would be great to be able to think quickly enough just to go to the outside of the wall and scrub that speed off, but it's just not in your makeup to drive into the wall. But as you can see, it really shook Bubba. That, I mean, that's a hard hit at over 150 miles per hour still. So great to see him walk away. One more restart later, we're in overtime. And this was the restart here where Daniel Suarez had learned maybe a thing or two that we'll talk about later from Kyle Busch, but it's the move by Eric Jones right there where he puts it three wide that basically hands this race to Kyle Busch. Now, he didn't do anything wrong. He was doing what he had to do as a racer driver, going for a win, but it effectively put the others all two by two, and Kyle waved and said, thank you, boys. I'm off. Yeah, he <laughs> was just looking that, in the we've mirror. We've seen that movie before, DJ. Yeah, and Kyle Busch needs no help from anyone else to win these races. But what a great job. Didn't have the best car again. We've said that a couple of times this year. He's winning without the very best car, but they put themselves in position uh, week in and week out. He admitted as much right after the race. So big win and Sunday's win. Also, Kyle Busch is 49th in the Monster Energy Series, which ties him with future Hall of Famer Tony Stewart. As for Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick, he did rally to finish in fourth place. We're going to break down his afternoon a little later on in the show. The other member of the Big Three, Martin Truex Jr., had a tough ride this past weekend, finished in 15th. He was dealing with all kinds of brake issues. He had a loose handling car. Big Three have gone back and forth all season, this time Kyle Busch coming out on top. Here's what he had to say in his burnout interview. Well, we got to ask him about that final restart with his teammate Daniel Suarez. Who looked, Kyle, like you might have had some momentum on you there. Were you a little worried? I was. Um, man, just, um, you want to turn around? I'm, get I, the sunshine on Kyle. Yeah, well, I do video and, uh, and sound stuff enough, so give him a chance to get a good good picture of this, you know. Um, no, just uh, Suarez, man. I, I, I can't say enough about my teammate. Just um, what an awesome race, you know. Um, he was probably the second best car, well, third best car. Harvick was the best car. We were the second best car. I think Suarez was the third best car. And man, he gave us a run for our money there on those last couple of restarts. The last one, I spun my tires a little bit too much and he got a really good run. And I think that gave Jones an opportunity to make it three wide down into one. And those guys got to racing and just kind of let me get away. But um, can't say enough about uh, Adam Stevens and all my guys. I mean, this M&M's Caramel car was Camry, Toyota Camry was awesome. Had a lot of speed, but uh, man, we fought it all weekend. So glad to get here. and. And glad to get another win for the Rowdy Nation fans out there. Everybody here at Pocono, we swept the weekend, taking both home, taking home both Eagle trophies this week. <laughs> taking both home, taking home both doesn't matter. They're all going in the car back to the house with the win. Kyle Busch increasing his playoff point total to 35, jumping ahead of Kevin Harvick for the most among cup drivers. Also leads Harvick in the race for the regular season championship. Remember that comes with an added 15 playoff points. That is something that those drivers are thinking about. Bush swept the weekend at Pocono, also winning Saturday's Truck Series race. So that now puts him at 192 wins across NASCAR's top three series. The all-time record 200 wins by the King Richard Petty. Those were all earned in the Cup Series during his time in the car. Parker, I saw you shaking your head when I was rattling <laughs> off those stats because it really just is Unbelievable, and another example for me as an observer at the end of the race of the raw talent that Kyle Busch has to be able to execute when the stakes are the highest. And I just wonder when you look at those numbers, DJ, where you think he ranks or will ultimately rank 
as one of the most talented drivers in this sport, you're a Hall of Famer. You have driven with some excellent drivers. Yeah, I've seen a lot and watched a lot growing up with my dad and then raced against a lot of them too. And I'm going to put all the numbers aside. Just just thinking about watching Kyle Busch and, and having the opportunity to race against him some, but just watching him. He, he's one of the top five most talented drivers that has ever come through this series. Uh, yeah, the numbers are going to point that out. But just thinking of him as a driver and the things he's able to do. And when I think about how talented someone is, that, that's taking race cars as Dale Earnhardt would do, as Richard Petty would do. Whenever they're not the best, when they don't have the best car, they win races. And that's whenever you know someone has tremendous talent. And he does everything that he needs to do, uh, yet does everybody like him? No, that's not the point here. It's a matter of how talented he really is. That's well said. I agree wholeheartedly with you saying that he basically has that that situation where he can take cars that aren't the best and find a way to win. That's what makes him so impressive. I just, I always ask you guys what differentiates the driver from the race car, from the organization, from the performance. And I think what DJ said illustrates that a little bit is you get these these moments of brilliance from a driver behind the race car where there's no other reason except for they have the skill in the moment to be able to execute in a way that nobody else can. And was that an, a, a very clear example of that on Sunday? You brought up a great point, which is that there was two cars he was up against in those final restarts. Both were his teammates in a lot of ways, and or his, are his teammates, and the same equipment, and yet you saw what he was able to do in the similar equipment, and that was manipulate the restarts, find a way to have the right speed into turn one, and overall just be faster than those guys, and that's what separates him. That's where you start to see the talent of another driver versus the others, and start to see where Kyle Busch separates himself from the rest of the pack to why we believe he's one of the most talented drivers that's ever lived. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole uh, controversy between Kyle, uh, Richard Petty's 200 wins with Drake Cup and the 200 wins he has over all three series. But I think the thing that amazes me is that he has won so many races. And it's more races than a lot of guys that he's racing against in Cup have raced in NASCAR. He has won races. So those numbers, however you look at them, however you want to value them, the fact is this guy finds a way to win no matter what he's driving and when. I just wonder quickly, so we've got DJ here that's a Hall of Famer and you as a young driver. If you're Daniel Suarez in that position and you know that Kyle Busch is the guy that you have to beat off a restart like that and he is so <laughs> talented, what does that feel like for another driver that knows I have to go through this guy. <laughs> well, uh, I've been there once or a couple times in my career, and I can tell you, uh, you know, last season I was racing the trucks, and every time I came to a restart, it felt like I was either near Kyle or he was behind me, and it was annoying because he would have a chance and put his truck in positions that would put me in a position where I had to basically decide, do I want to run into him or wreck? or give him the position. And that's what he does so well at times, right? He has that mental advantage on us a little bit. But I can say that, you know, what he does is that he is put in those positions so often because he's won so many races, right. because he's won 192 races over three different series, that when he comes down to those late race restarts, what he has an advantage over a guy like Daniel Suarez is just simply the experience. He has yeah. done it so often. He's so calm in that position. He knows he's been through every scenario so many times that that's a hard thing for Daniel Suarez to beat. But what we saw this past weekend was that Daniel Suarez did take note, and we'll get into that more later. But yeah. I think that's what's interesting is that that's why he has that leg up on someone like Daniel. We yeah. Ha yeah, we have to get into Daniel Suarez now. I mean, that was the closest that he has been to earning a very, very big win in his career. Cup Series win, NASCAR's top level. All things considered, really a great performance. And he did speak with Kelly Stavis after the race. Take a listen to that. Well, I thought... I thought I was a little better than the than, than Kyle and the 18 guys um, with new tires for five, seven laps or so. 
but in the longer run, he was better than me. He was just turning better for whatever reason. I was getting too tight, and and I was trying to to adjust my my tools as much as I can to, to to free the car up a little bit, but it wasn't helping, you know, the rotation where I needed. Uh, and every restart, I felt like I was I was decent, but not not great. Um, I felt like if I was able to complete the pass by corner one, I was going to be able to hold him off. But I, I just never had the, the help from behind. You started from pole for the first time in your cup career. Your crew chief, Scott Graves, told me the important thing was to learn from this, no matter how it played out. Did How valuable was the experience today? It was good. Uh, in the beginning of the race, we were okay. And then we lost the balance a little bit. We made some adjustments. We got the car better. And by the end of the race, I thought we, we were a solid top three car, uh, top five car. I felt like in the short run, we were actually the best car out there. I was better than 18 on this. And uh, it was a little disappointing. It hurts to be close. Suarez, one of three young drivers who scored their career best finish in the Cup Series on Sunday at Pocono, along with Suarez in second and Alex Bowman in third. William Byron finished in sixth. Byron led 10 laps after a strategy call to keep him on track prior to the final stage. So despite that excellent result for Suarez, he is not making the playoffs without a win. He finished second on Sunday and yet lost ground in the playoff standings with five regular season races left. Parker, walk us through the end of his race. Right, Carolyn. And you've heard of Monday morning quarterbacking. This is Monday evening restarting. We're yes. going to go and dissect those restarts. And DJ, the thing is, seldom in this sport do you get a chance to go up against one of the best at the front of the field in a restart but then also get the chance to do it twice. Yeah, so let's see if we learn from that, from that first one, and, and we'll show exactly, exactly what happened and what he did. So let's go into that first one right now, and I think the first thing we should notice is how he's going to give Kyle a little bit of a jump here as they get to the line and try to time it, but it doesn't work. Yeah, you, you want to be able to anticipate, and I understand what he was thinking in this situation, but it just you can't give Kyle Busch a car-length head start here. And then what happens is you see that 20 car of Eric Jones. We'll zoom in on it right now. He's giving the 18 a push. And so what happens down in turn one? Kyle yep. clears the 19. Yeah, and, and Suarez has no help from Chase Elliott at this point in time. Makes a good run back to the throttle and looks like he's going to make a run down the back straightaway. But Kyle Busch had a good run too and wasn't going to make the pass here. Not a chance. He, he had him beat. But the good part was he got to do it again and yes. see if he learned some things. So right before we get going, I just want you to notice you're going to see some names come up. We're going to point the cars out. That's Daniel Suarez, Eric Jones behind him, Kyle Busch. And look how they're side by side at the line this time. So this is between Joe Gibbs racing drivers to decide who's going to win this race. Suarez did a great job staying close, getting exactly where he wanted. And at this point in time right now, he has it set up perfectly. He's got a teammate on his rear bumper to possibly push him at this point in time. But things would change. And you said it perfectly. He's set up for it. But what happens? Eric Jones makes this move down the inside, and this kills his momentum, and now that gives Kyle another shot yeah. right around the outside. And when you're put in the middle like that, there's only one thing to do, and that's try to protect the position that you've got right there. But these two drivers decided to continue and had no choice at this point in time. Once Eric Jones made that move, they were racing side by side. Kyle Busch has looked in his mirror, saw them side by side, and it's now, if we can see inside that helmet, grinning ear to ear. <laughs> and then they head down to turn two, the tunnel turn. And at this point, look at that separation between Kyle Busch up there and Daniel Suarez and Eric Jones. It's massive, and it's only going to grow because they head off into a corner where if, when you go side-by-side side in that, it's like you're going a million miles an hour slower than when you're by yourself. 
And because of that, you actually see Eric Jones through those two corners end up losing a chance at maybe second and third and all the way falling, out, like, falling all the way back to fourth. Yeah, so Suarez did things better the second time. He learned what he needed to do, but got himself in a worse position uh, because of another driver. But everybody's trying to win at this point in time, so you make whatever you can of the situation. Exactly. And, Carolyn, I think that's the key here is that we saw him try a little something that first time but then perfect it the second time, but it's not always up to you if that restart's going to work in your advantage. All right. Very important. All right, we've got plenty more in store on today's show. We're going to look back on the crash involving Bubba Wallace and how NASCAR safety enhancements actually helped him climb out of the car safely. Christopher Bell was added again at Iowa Speedway, but it wasn't easy. We're going to look at the thrilling overtime finish that saw Bell pick up his third straight win. And we'll begin Watkins Glen Week with a tour of some of the other great racing venues throughout the Empire State. Plus, we will show you what Owen Larson did during pre-race at Pocono that may go viral. That is straight ahead on NASCAR America. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Everybody. Well, if you can believe this, Kevin Harvick now 0 for 36 at Pocono. He's been so dominant this year, and according to most of the drivers, he had the best car on Sunday, won the pole, failed inspection, started 29th. Still, he managed to drive through the field a couple of times. Here's what he had to say afterwards. What a day, Kevin, starting in the back, going to the front, then back to the back again. How would you describe it? Well, just a, a really fast mobile one forward. You know, I think as you, as you look at the day, we kept having to go to the back and made a good race out of it. Um, you know, it's just it's hard to swallow having a car like that and not winning, but that's usually how it goes uh, when, you, when you have a, have a day uh, where your car runs that fast. You knew you were the car to beat. You described it that way. What could you have done differently? Well, not got hit on pit road, not started in the back. You watch the race. You tell me. Here's what we will tell you. How fast was Kevin Harvick on Sunday? Well, take a look. He started 29th, already inside the top 10 by lap 9. Later on, after multiple pit stops to repair damage from his incident with Eric Almirola, restarted 27th on lap 133, ended up 4th at the finish. So a bit of a roller coaster, but the numbers speak for themselves. He is more than fine on the playoff leaderboard, despite getting passed by Kyle Busch in playoff points. So let's focus instead when we look at this right on that cut line. Alex Bowman doubling his lead in points at the cut line with a third place finish. And then you've got Menard and Stenhouse and Suarez, like we said a little bit earlier, in this must win mode. This is really where I'm focused on DJ. And I'm wondering where Alex Bowman goes from here in terms of his strategy for the rest of the regular season to make sure that he is in good position to to get this done. Well, the biggest thing is don't make mistakes. You know what you have to do now. This is points racing. That's all that, that they can do at this point in time. You have the opportunity presents itself, then you go after a win. But don't put yourself in any bad spots. This coming weekend at Watkins Lane is going to be a huge weekend for him. If he can just survive, and I'm talking just a top 15 finish is all that he needs to do. Uh, not give anything away and let these others back in the mix. So uh, just keep doing what you're doing. He's making improvements, and Hendrick Motorsports has certainly found something for their race drivers to be able to compete with. We, we talked about these Camaros all year. Now they're getting that, and he did a great job yesterday. We talked about how Kyle Busch nailed those restarts to win the race. 
this guy right here, Alex Bowman, nailed those restarts to put himself in position to get that top five. And that was really impressive. Just the whole day was very impressive by the 88 team. They really excelled at a high level. They executed at a high level. did everything they need to do. And in so many ways, the other two being Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Paul Menard, did absolutely what you shouldn't do, which is they just didn't have the performance there. They didn't put pressure on the 88. They allowed the 88 to feel like those two were nowhere to be found. And sure enough, they weren't. They weren't. They were nowhere to be found. And when you look at where Ricky Stenhouse finished compared to Alex Bowman, and when you look at some of the other cars coming out of the Roush Family Camp, I even look at the front row cars of Michael McDowell finished 16th. It was a huge miss by the 17 team of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. on a day where the 88 had such a fine day, such so such well executed that. That's the kind of days Alex Bowman was was hoping for. He was yeah. wishing for. It was those days if he couldn't win a race, and that's what he got. And he has to – I said he has to finish in the top 15. The other thing is he has to hope that – nothing against A.J. Allmendinger, but that he doesn't go to Watkins Land or someone else jump in there that's outside of that top 16 and grab a spot. Then the next thing you know, he's battling his teammates who are well ahead of him in the point standing. So that could all shake things up. And, and the biggest thing, I think, with this whole deal is that – for a couple weeks there, we watched Paul Menard especially chomp into that lead very quickly with some really fast forwards and some great performances. And this was kind of about slamming the gauntlet back down and saying, no, we are going to make these playoffs <laughs> yes. with the 88 team. You guys get out of here. No way. And that's what they did. That was the kind of statement that this weekend made for them. I just think now this gives them that little bit of cushion, that safety net that you want so badly when you're in their position, especially if, as you said, they feel like they're maybe bringing faster cars or getting better. Maybe they put themselves in a position where because of this race, they can get risky enough to maybe try and win a race. I guess I'm just hesitant to really say definitively that anybody is in good shape around that bubble because you made a great point. These tracks that we're heading to are hopefully, fingers crossed, going to open the door for some of these other yeah. drivers to have their opportunity to shake things up, and that bubble can be very volatile. Yeah, so they're although they're in a much better spot, and I'm speaking of Alex Bowman and, and his team, they, they put themselves in a much better spot. They're also the last one there. So they open themselves up. But we're talking about someone outside the top 16 having to win to knock them out. If somebody, if we get a new winner, and as long as they're inside the top 16, then that's not going to change his position any whatsoever. So he doesn't have to worry about that. Have we seen anybody back there really show the capabilities of making that happen? No, we no. really haven't. But we have seen Ricky Stenhouse run extremely well, well at about, Bristol, so about, anything can happen. I mean, just quickly, do you, yeah. what do you take from Daniel Suarez's performance here? You know, I mean, good his, momentum. I think that, yes, there's places that we've obviously seen that his teammates proving that Joe Gibbs Racing is bringing very fast cars that can win races. Yeah. So I look at it as a chance. Remember, he won a stage last year at Watkins Glen. That could be an opportunity that no yeah. one's really seen for Daniel Suarez. So there's definitely pressure on the 88, but they did all they could do without winning a race to alleviate the points pressure of Stenhouse and Paul Menard. Yeah, he expected more races like this when a couple of weeks ago he made this statement, we're going to race our way in, yeah. uh, but he had, this, this is one, so can he back this up? That's what we have to see. That's the question. Um, coming up in the show, we are going to revisit the crash that everybody was talking about on Sunday. We're going to hear from the driver who experienced it firsthand, Bubba Wallace's reaction to the hit that he described as the hardest one he has ever taken when NASCAR America returns. Stay with us. We're coming right back. About 10 back at a 21 for position here. Smart. Clear behind him. Yeah, no brakes. Oh, shit. 10 for the best you can. Smart. You should have floored. No stopping power. Car down in the grass up there. Watch it. Slow it down. Watch one coming across. Stay down. Watch 43 on the bottom. Nice and easy here. 
watch me come back up. Oh, oh right into the wall is the 43. Bubba Wallace slams the wall. Holy he hit hard. This was a massive hit. Are you all right? And oh, that is the greatest view we could possibly see. The window net coming down. I'm glad to see him drop that window net and get out. A lot of people have already thought it has been great to see him hop out of the car. Amanda tweeted that she was never happier to see you get hop out of a race car. My 13-year-old texted said, tell me he's in our prayers because that was a big hit. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, that was a huge hit. Babe, I'm fine. Mom, everybody back at home, I'm okay. Um, hardest one of my career. Uh, I was just telling them here, there's no feeling like being helpless in that situation, going off into turn one. And uh, it scared the hell out of me. I didn't know if I was going to remember it if I hit or not. So we're, uh, we're good. Uh, bit my cheek, banged my foot off the pedal. Uh, I'm okay, though. I'll uh, wake up tomorrow and be a little sore. But uh, uh, the, the safety has come a long way. So uh, it's good to be able to climb out of the car. The EMTs were worried that I didn't let the window net down fast enough. And I was like, hell, that's the last thing I thought about. I'm sorry. Uh, but everything was good. They gave me an ultrasound. Uh, no twins or anything, so I'm good. Uh, we're uh, just unfortunate ending for us. Our, uh, our uh, mile 22 Chevrolet was, was okay. It was decent. We were trying to get by and, and just salvage a decent finish and had brake failures. Describe for us when you felt that, Bubba, and the process you went through quickly to decide what your options might be. Yeah, uh, the lap before I was holding off Eric, the 10 car, uh, going into one, and and my, the pedal went to the floor. So I went to the bottom, just try to you your natural instincts is just to try to use up all the track when that happens. So went to the floor, pump it up, get through the tunnel and, and through three here, and then down into one. I started pumping it right past start finish line, and it blew. And I should have hook, hooked a right into the fence and stayed up there to use that to slow me down, but. I'm, I'm used to turning left there, Dave. So I turned left, and there she went through the grass. So uh, unfortunate, but uh, definitely the hardest one. I'm okay. I'll be sore. Yeah, I'll be limping, but I'll be fine. Good to know that Bubba Wallace's sense of humor is still intact <laughs> as well in the wow. immediate aftermath of such a tough hit. But um, that was a very similar crash to one that you experienced in 2003. Not the cause of it, but yeah. the very same point on the racetrack. How perilous is that part of the track? Well, you think about it. We talk about it all the time. The very fastest part and longest straightaway uh, of any NASCAR place uh, racetrack. And so you're going down there. The difference may be, you talk about that it's going faster. I actually blew a right rear tire right after we had made a green flag pit stop. And so Michigan, yeah, you might go in there faster, but you're not using any brake at Michigan. Here you have to apply the brake. And whenever Bubba went down in there and you have no brakes, you're running over 200 miles per hour. And it's a helpless feeling. And in my case there where it broke fire, you, you, there's no fast way out of there. And in this situation, Bubba did everything he could, except as he said, but you're not thinking about turning right. You never want to drive into the wall because yeah. you think you need to, but uh, uh, this was just a, a huge impact, but all the safety initiatives work together to make it to where he could climb out of this car. And to know it's coming as a driver, Parker, describe what that feels like. Yeah, well, DJ said it best. You know, you're approaching this corner well over 200 miles an hour, but then you also have to brake and downshift. That's how yeah. slow you're going through the center of it. So the delta between the speed you approach and the speed you actually go through the corner is massive. And therefore, when you come into that corner and you have no brakes, and there's no reaction. Your initial thought process, which Bubba went into as a race car driver, is there's all that opening down the inside. All right, I'll turn down there. Now, I'll bleed all this speed away. And it's, it's funny, I've, I've had throttles stick and, sort of, and brakes go away where 
I've done this a similar thing at racetracks where you know you almost turn in the corner early and you think you're bleeding the speed right here and you're coming to the wall and you're thinking oh I, I've gotten rid of all that speed you know I, this isn't going to be that hard at all and then suddenly the wall starts to come very quickly and then you hit and you have that initial sting across your body and you realize instantly I didn't take any speed away. Yeah. There's nothing that this, I've hit this wall as hard as I can. Yeah. And from that point, once you have the initial sting and then it starts to set in like, okay, what else hurts, right? And that's, that's what I've always felt like. And I just think that that portion of time that you have is unique there because you see it all happy and you, you slow everything down. Yeah, I, you get asked a lot of times by fans wanting to know, do you ever get scared in a race car? I don't think you get scared, even in a situation like that, where you know it's coming. You know, there's nothing that you can do. You have no way of slowing this car down. If you're in a normal accident, things happen so quickly around you, you don't have time to think about anything. It just happens, and, and you go on and hope that everything's okay. This is one of those that you say, this is going to hurt, and it slows down, and it's like it takes forever. But then when it hits, yes, it hurts it tremendously. I mean, it knocks the breath out of you. Your feet are banging all the pedals down there. So you've got multiple things that are hurting, but it takes so long for it to happen. And so, it, again, you're not scared. You're just anticipating that this is getting ready to be a feeling that you don't really want to have. And I think you brought up a great point, which is that your, your feet are banging around there, and that's when you heard Bubba say, you know, I hit my feet in the pedals. That's the other thing. You almost brace for it. And there's nothing you can do to stop your body from moving as much as it's going to when it has that impact and it's so sudden. So that's when you're, you're trying to get your feet away from the pedals. Sometimes I, I put my hands up on the belts almost in wrecks like that. And it's just all those little things because you have all that time, as you said, to think about it, yeah. which is just that's the most terrifying part. And you're not scared. It's just that you're bracing for it. Yeah. And the Hans device is one of the things that helps those situations right there because it limits just how much your neck can stretch in those situations. And that's what creates a situation where Bubba Wallace can get out of there and talk about it immediately after. And you're leading us to what always comes up when something like this happens, which is the evolution of safety in the mm -hmm. sport. Where are we now? Where can the sport go from here? NASCAR Senior Vice President of Competition Scott Miller addressed this topic on Sirius XM earlier this morning. First and foremost, it was a uh it was obviously a very big hit waiting for that window net to come down and you know thank goodness i mean he was uh he was fine a uh, little shaken but really you know got released from the infield care center like pretty quickly so all of the initiatives that have been put in place over the years with uh safety of the cars, the seats, the safer barriers and all the things are you know really really paying dividends in situations like that you know, Scott and everybody else was holding their collective breath, waiting for that window netting to come down. But from everything that you guys have described, now we have a little bit of insight into why it may have taken so long. You have to assess your body after such an impact like that. And while he was inside doing that, everybody on the outside was wondering if he was okay. And we're glad that he is. But we bring up the safer barrier, and Sirius XM's uh, radio host, Dave Moody, also a reporter. This is what he tweeted. This is the concrete wall that was actually behind the safer barrier in that spot. This is damage that Dave attributes to that crash. So wow. when he looked behind mm -hmm. the safer barrier and saw these chinks in the concrete here, um, he made the correlation that that happened as a result of this particular incident. But it just shows you 
the impact. It's another layer to what NASCAR has yeah. done in terms of trying to protect these drivers who are getting out of these cars. Yeah, there's so many things, but that's safer barrier right there. That That's just a, literally a lifesaver and uh, not hitting that concrete wall. Unfortunately, myself and, and I think even Jeff Gordon had his grades. It might not have been a safer barrier there, but uh, we've seen Jimmy Johnson and, and, and others have big crashes there, but that safer barrier absorbed. Yeah, it still hurts. It's still a hard hit uh, and it knocks the breath out of you. But it, it, that has done more to help drivers be able to walk away from those type situations than anything else that's been done. And in talking to drivers from past generations like yourself that have hit more concrete walls than I have, I've, I'm very <laughs> thankful for those safer barriers. And I think you said it best that that is probably one of the best innovations we've seen. But just to go back to what you just said, where Bubba said, you know, I wasn't worried about putting the net down. That's exactly what it was happening. He was yeah. assessing his body, assessing himself. Okay, where do I hurt? You know, I've, my hands hurt. Did I hold the wheel too long? Did I? Did my feet hit anything? And that's just what you go through as a checklist as a driver. You're not thinking like, oh, I got to put this head, this this net down because everyone's worried. You're just thinking about yourself at that time, you know, a little yeah. bit. But I think he did. He obviously then realized, oh, I got to put this down, and all is well. Thankfully, yeah. we're glad he's okay. We're yeah. glad he doesn't have twins. We're glad for <laughs> yes. us. We're glad for comment. a lot of things for Bubba Wallace <laughs> after the weekend. Um, coming up though, two of NASCAR's major touring series, of course racing at Pocono. Christopher Bell, by the way, doing his thing with the Xfinity Series in Iowa. These days, all he does is win. We're going to check out his three-peat performance when we come back. Stay with us. Andretti Autosports, Alexander Rossi set the tone of the weekend by winning the Verizon P1 Pole Award on Saturday. And that was an omen for Sunday because he really brought it on race day. He was the only one of the front runners to go on a two-stop stop strategy. And he battled hard with championship leader Scott Dixon. But other than that, it was pretty much clear sailing. For the Californian, who got his first ever Mid-Ohio victory and has moved into second in the championship standings, just 46 back from Dixon. Our thanks to Lee Diffie for that. And Alexander Rossi is going to look to keep closing in on Scott Dixon. The Verizon IndyCar Series returns to action at Pocono of all places. You can catch that on Sunday, August 19th. That one's right here on NBCSN as well. Let's spend a couple minutes on the Xfinity Series now out at Iowa Speedway over the weekend. 15 laps remaining here. Chase Briscoe spins, collects the race leader, Christopher Bell, who took some damage to his left front. Yeah, but what a masterful job Christopher Bell did there, not getting more damage than that. I mean, he'd run everything he could do to get to win this race and have that happen right in front of him. So fast forward, this is the first overtime attempt, and Bell gets swallowed up by the pack here. Right, Kyle Benjamin goes to the bottom, Justin Allgaard goes to the top. It's four wide for the lead, and he's just one of the cars that's sandwiched in the middle, so nothing he can do. And a great pass by Justin Allgaard around the outside to take the lead here, you'll see. But not a great thing for Bell there. He didn't want to be in that position. No. And that wreck involving Matt Tipton and Max Tolman bringing out the red flag. So Algar out in front during the second overtime restart, DJ. But Christopher Bell will come roaring back here. He did. Uh, used his front bumper a little bit. Uh, Justin Algar wasn't a big fan of that. But Bell did everything that he needed to do get back to the front. Cars battling. Daniel Hemrick, one of them there, spinning off a of turn four, coming to the checker. But Christopher Bell did an outstanding job on that restart, coming all the way from fourth to get this win, three in a row. Yeah, he said he prides himself on being a clean racer. Either way, went on to his third straight win and joined Parker after the race. You're the first Xfinity Series regular to win three in a row since 1999 when Dale Jr. lasted. What does that mean to you? It's pretty cool, man. I'm just kind of speechless. You know, these races are really hard to win. And growing up sprint car racing and midget racing, you don't have pit stops, you don't have long races like this and uh it's 
been really difficult for me to to wrap my head around how to run these long distance races and uh, thankfully with the great people behind me like Jason and uh, spotter Tony Hirschman wasn't here with us but I had another great spotter Al on top of the roof today so those guys take good care of me and make sure I keep my head on for all 250. So as our man Parker Beerman alluded to he is in some serious company here three or more consecutive wins now by Xfinity Series regular and you see him at the very bottom Dale Earnhardt Jr. Sam Ard doing it a couple of different times. Christopher Bell certainly has the hot hand right now in the Xfinity Series. He's making big news. The racing has been so fun to watch. The question now, not to fast forward it too much, but to fast forward it too much, <laughs> is what is going to happen if you're in the Toyota camp next year, DJ, and you see what he is doing right now in the Xfinity Series? Well, I see no reason in holding this young man back, and that's not been Toyota's forte that they say, okay, we'll let these guys stay around a couple of years. They want to move them on to the Cup Series. They know that's what they have in mind for Christopher Bell. He's done everything. He's beat Kyle Busch. He's beat Brad Keselowski. He beat Eric Jones last year. So why not? Why does he need to hang around? I understand that it's all about the dollars, and if there's money available, I don't know why they wouldn't go back to Furniture Row where Joe Gibbs Racing took Eric Jones last year and had him perform there. Supposedly, all the employees were kept. They didn't let those uh, go from the second team, even though they're only running the 78 car this year. So I think that it's kind of the obvious choice. If there's money there, I think the money would also uh, help that uh, Furniture Row organization in that they're looking for a major sponsor right now for the 78 car. So if you know you have these dollars, it would help. Uh, in that situation, maybe you could even take a little bit less than what you were thinking about for the 78 because you've got money for what was the 77 and Christopher Bell. So it makes sense to me, but I don't write the checks well, either. So <laughs> just quickly, is that supposed to be um, a decision that's going to be reached with Joe Gibbs, with Barney Visser? I mean, yep. it seems like under that Toyota umbrella, there's a lot of moving pieces here, including the fact that Martin Truex Jr. has to have his contract settled after this season. It just how many different people would have to sign off on a move like that? to bring him to Furniture Row. I don't know that this would re even hinder that. You know, that Truex's deal is coming strictly from what they're going to get uh, from a, a sponsor there. But if they have these dollars coming in from over here, I think it makes perfect sense. I know that there have been discussions. Uh, I, you know, I'm not just speaking totally off the cuff here and like I don't know exactly anything what I'm talking you about. There, there have been so discussions yeah, that have been had because, do. and this was before this young man went on and won <laughs> three races. So the, these are discussions. Now, are the dollars there to make this happen? I think that's the key thing is the sponsorship there. But a lot of things in Toyota has shown that when they have somebody and they want to keep these drivers there, they find the dollars somewhere. Are you going to lie to well, us or do I'm, you have I'm going to tell you the truth too. So I'm going to tell you this. Look, there's one thing to note. is He has obviously won three in a row. And even if he doesn't go on to win this championship, as we saw with Eric Jones, that didn't affect him. Daniel no. Suarez won it. They both went on to be – they're doing great things in cups. So I think that's the reason why we look at this and say, why run another year? If, the, if there's got to be a way to get him up there, there's nothing to gain out of being in Xfinity if he's ready to go to Cup. And that's a hard thing to you know figure out, but when you see a young man like this who's showing this amount of talent and beating guys like you said, then it's obvious to us he is ready to go. I just think that's the thing. Now, it's going to come down, you asked how many people are involved in that. In my opinion, it's going to come down to, as you've seen, 
what does Toyota want to do? And what does yeah. Toyota and Joe Gibbs want to do to support Furniture Row? And how do they all want to cooperate together to get this young man to cup? That's, in my opinion, how it goes about. And I think we'll see some things, hopefully, that have come about with uh, Eric Jones and Stanley Dewalt and them announcing that he's, they're going to be sorting his car. I think all those things kind of play into the fact of where is it going to come from? It's all those players coming together and allowing them to put another car out there. If you look at the rest of the series and the results, one of the things that's so exciting about Xfinity is sometimes you have these David with Goliath stories, and we have to mention Ross Chastain finished a career best yeah, fourth. What a great race. Incredible and run. in fact, now that result puts him 40 points ahead in the battle for that last playoff spot, which, by the way, if you're paying attention at home, that's the 12th spot, unlike the Cup Series. But Parker... What this young man has been able to accomplish against some other drivers who it's, are bringing a lot to the table. And it's not only what he's doing in the Xfinity Series. You know, he was running in the top 10 at the end of that yeah. before those last restarts and the wreck that he gained a couple more spots on. But he was running in the top 10 in a car that does not deserve to be in the top 10. He's told me many times they don't <laughs> deserve to be in the playoffs, but they are. And he does the same thing in Cup for Premium Motorsports where he goes out and runs top 25 in a car that should not be running top 25. Uh, Dale Jr. and I actually talked about it for a second and said it's, it's amazing what Ross Chastain is doing in underfunded equipment. And you've got to think someone in the sport is going to take notice of this young man and say, I find him, I can find value in what he's doing, right? Because yep. he is taking teams that do not deserve to be where they're running and elevating them miles ahead. Yeah, he's been able to run some cup races. I think that's making him a better driver. And they've also said if they get in the playoffs, they've got some sponsorship waiting on them, which is great news for that organization. That's fantastic. He certainly deserves it. Coming up, we are going to begin the build-up toward a great weekend of action at Watson's Glen with a week-long tour of the Empire State and the several tracks that have made it one of the hotbeds in racing. Our journey starts next on NASCAR America. Stay with us for My Home Track. We'll be right back. He took another step towards that goal Sunday, but Bush didn't do it alone. So let's give the 18th pit crew some props now. It is all Kyle Bush off turn three. Kyle Bush scores the win at Pocono Raceway. TJ Ford, Jackman. Uh, just want to thank everybody for M&Ms today. It's such a great day out here. The 18 team, as you see him up on the wall, letting the bill burn it down. Fairly average day on pit road, fast pit stops, and. Uh, great calls on top of the box, and driver, of course, is amazing. His 49th career victory. Thank you, everybody back at the shop for everything you do to get us here and get us in this victory lane. And I uh, wish you guys could be here, but it's a great team win today. For the sixth time this season, Jackman, TJ Ford, and the 18 crew from Joe Gibbs Racing celebrated in victory lane Sunday at Pocono. The crew kept Kyle Bush up front on his final pit stop of the day at lap 122, and from there, he survived four restarts in the final 39 laps to earn the victory. Now, the Cup Series is going to head to Watkins Glen, and this is the only time that the series is going to be in New York State all season long. It's such a fun weekend. So many people look forward to it. So we've been highlighting New York Racing's tradition in a special edition of My Home track. You have to start the discussion of racing in the Empire State with the late Richie Evans and Jerry Cook. Modified legends, NASCAR Hall of Famers, Evans and Cook both hail from Rome, New York, and their rivalry stands as one of NASCAR's greatest. The two combined to win 15 NASCAR Modified Championships, Evans with nine and Cook 
with six. Their home track was the half-mile Utica-Rome Speedway, which is currently in its 57th season of racing. It was originally a paved oval when it opened back in 1961, and it is now one of New York State's biggest dirt tracks. Utica-Rome has weekly racing every Sunday night. It's headlined by the 358 Dirt Modifieds, and it's also a regular stop for regional and national sprint car leagues. That includes the Empire Super Sprints, Tony Stewart's All-Star Circuit of Champions as well. And another key New York track while we're talking about it, the Steel Palace Oswego Speedway. This 5-8 mile track, part of the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour. And last season, Brian Priest won the tour stop at Oswego and has gone on to even bigger things as we've seen in the Xfinity Series. So Parker, these are tracks where stars are born. It is very much where it starts for so many drivers. Yeah, people ask all the time, you know, how do you become a race car driver? And they think it's kind of odd. And a lot of people say, you, know, you start in go-karts and such, but then eventually you hope to get to this level where you're racing cars at local tracks like Ryan Priest has done in the Modified Series. And some of these tracks have some really cool classes we don't see anywhere else, like super modified and obscure things. And they do figure eight sometimes. So there's a lot of great entertainment at the local track level that we always tell people, Go check out your local track. Go yep. check. You know, if you want to know more about where racing starts and where you start to see these stars born, go to your local track, support them, and see it. And you know what we didn't mention there is that Watkins Glen is also one of Martin Truex Jr.'s 22 home tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were setting us up for something. I just wasn't sure what. Yeah, every track seems to be a home track for Martin Truex Jr., but yes. he did have some fun with that a couple weeks ago. You're a Hall of Famer. Mm. What do Hall of Famers like Richie Evans and Jerry Cook, what legacy do they have at some of these tracks? Well, I think what's great about is these drivers decided to stay in the modifieds. That's where they honed their skills, what they did all over the country racing each other. The, the stories of their battles, and I got to witness some of them at Martinsville and other places, just tremendous. But these drivers made their mark and now are NASCAR Hall of Famers. Yeah, we're going to be featuring New York State tracks all week right here on NASCAR America as we build to one of the most entertaining races of the year. The drive for the playoffs taking a new turn as the Monster Energy Cup Series heading to Watkins Glen. So Sunday, 3 Eastern, over on NBC, we're we're going to show you an adorable scene with Kyle Larson's son when we come back. Stay with us. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Welcome back, everybody. So we are halfway home in our latest 10 race league on NASCAR Fantasy Live. It's so much fun to play. And as for our broadcasters, a new leader in Lee Diffie. He is up by 11 points over Nate Ryan, Jeff Burton, Marty Snyder, Dan Beaver from Roto World, also in the top five. The three of us, unfortunately. I'm naming the awesome um, Aussie. We are, yeah, Lee's phenomenal at yeah. Fantasy. Make sure you play with us if you can. It's a whole lot of fun. Um, meantime, we have a piece of video here that we only got to share during the broadcast yesterday. Oh. So this is uh, three-year-old Owen Larson, Kyle Larson's son, starts to play with the onboard camera. <laughs> uh, Kyle told him not to. Oh yeah. Do you think? Yeah. You think that's Kyle that's Larson's son? Oh, that's great. Oh, oh, and he spits on it at the end. Wow. Are you? you? Okay, yeah, I think, yeah, there you go. Then he Lord, was just cleaning off for us. Kyle comes in, he's like, oh, no, he's not. Look. Nope, he's now he's back. definitely not. Now he's making fun of us. Our cameras 
during our coverage are absolutely <laughs> everywhere. Would you expect anything less than when he's three years old? They're he's not got snow. a little bit. He's got a little and bit of swagger. And he was told to stay away. <laughs> That's like, with like her, is the worst thing you can tell. No camera I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay, getting physical. Okay, yeah. I mean, is, it, is it too early to peg him as a maybe the next big thing in NASCAR? He seems like he's got a real driver's um, fortitude. Oh, I think he and Cash. Attitude. I think he and Cash, uh, Clint Boyer's son, oh, already have signed students. contracts. I think oh they, have, they have dynamic, rides They come as a dynamic duo. Yes. Oh, you know, and they're, they're going to they're, they're gonna come as a package deal. Yeah. You notice that Kyle Larson was just hanging out, but he was just going to see what he was doing. He yes. wasn't going to pull him away quite yet. Yeah. And then I think with the punching and the spinning, it was probably time to... <laughs> They should what tell a, him what to do. What Maybe he adjust that way spoiler next to time. end the show. Yeah, exactly right. Make it a teaching moment. All right, that's all for NASCAR America. You can always log on at meetsysports.com slash NASCAR, by the way. We are back here tomorrow, same time, same place. We'll see you then. More discussion. Have a great night in the meantime. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.